This is a very special episode of Hughes Interviews. Not only do I have the opportunity to chat to Sarah Morrison, who's currently starring in Come From Away as Janice Mosier, but I also got the rare opportunity to chat to the real-life people that inspired her character, Brian Mosier and Janice Goody. I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to a very special interview of Hughes Interviews. I'm joined today by Sarah Morrison, who is currently in uh, final technical rehearsals for Come From Away, the musical. Uh, thanks so much for joining, Sarah. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. So, <laughs> uh, as I mentioned, Sarah is currently in Come From Away, and we will get to that, but I always like to start at the beginning. So, where did it all start, the acting bug? What got you into performing? Was it singing, acting, dancing, a bit of all three, or...? Yeah, I, all I remember was that I was a very shy, reserved child and they offered, I suppose, some form of a drama class at my primary school and I think my parents enrolled me in an attempt to bring me out of my shell. Um, I guess it worked. <laughs> but all I remember it was was sort of just like drama games and things like that and then in our primary school we did a um, like a the grade fives and sevens, if I remember, did like a, a small school made musical. We did oh, Danger right. Kids when I was in grade five and I played Gizmo. Danger Kids? Yeah. What yeah. was the plot of that one? It was something about, you know, there was a, a villain, a mm -hmm. couple of characters, and then like the Danger Kids were the ones who saved the day from, you know, the world. Oh, so they, weren't, they weren't in danger, they were like no, they, spies. Danger Kids, yeah, right, like it was cool. a cool thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was like the tech head of the Danger Kids. <laughs> Gizmo, of course, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and then I think, and then I picked up like a jazz class. Not, mm. I wasn't very good, but I just really enjoyed it. Well, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. But I do remember like a, um, a girl in my class um, did uh, Annie, mm. about the same age when the girls and Annie were about the same age as me. And I remember just being, just wishing that I could do that too and not really at that age understanding why she could and I couldn't. Mm. And of course now I understand that she'd been dancing from a very young age and, you know, knew the process and whatever. So, um... Wasn't just doing jazz for fun. No, not <laughs> just doing jazz for fun. Um, and then over the holidays between basically my primary school and senior school, I auditioned for this like little pantomime mm. with like a small dance school in Queensland. And, um, then it was a, like a pantomime version of Peter Pan right. my brother and I did it and then that kind of led to me doing more formalised like lessons in singing and acting and dancing like the kind of you know holy trinity yes yes, yes. Um, and sort of just grew naturally from there really yeah. Right, and so that led into I think I read somewhere you were in the children's chorus for Opera Queensland. Yeah, yeah, auditioned for um, Lava Where the Kids Run On in Act Two for a hot second, <laughs> and we. Hey, it's a credit. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> but I had the best time. I yeah. thought it was hilarious that it was summer and it was so hot on stage, but we were in these winter clothes. Like I loved that, and they gave all the kids. Maybe there were eight of us running around the stage, and they gave us kids like a little brown bag filled with ollies, mm -hmm. and Simon Phillips actually directed that production. Right. And I didn't really clock that until during rehearsals for Ladies in Black and I was looking at Simon's feet and he the, he rocks the two different coloured socks. Oh, it's his, his thing, is That's it? That's his thing. <laughs> and I saw it and I thought, 
I just had that real sense of um, deja vu, like mm. like full body. Like I've seen that before. Why is the two coloured socks so familiar? Yeah. And that afternoon, I'd gone home and I, I pulled out the um, the program and I was like, oh my god, it's because Simon directed Love <laughs> OM. So that was kind uh, of a crazy cool ten years later thing. Bit of a yeah. Yeah. Um, coming all coming back to to roost. Amazing. So then, what did what made you decide this is something I want to do professionally, or did you go to training just to test it out or was it always like I'm going to train and get good enough to do this professionally yeah I don't think I I think I um it was one of those deep dark desires like that I knew that's what I really wanted and I felt like it was sort of like a silly thing to say out loud like how how could I think that I would be good enough to do that but I do remember seeing shows like Mamma Mia was one of the first times that I saw a show watching, you know, Kelly Road, who I'm now working with, which is an absolute trip out. Madness. Um, watching her play Sophie and just being that feeling. And I, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if there's an, a word in the English language that you, you just, yeah, I just watched her, was watching the show and just wanted everything to have me up there, you know, yeah. just sort of experience that. But I didn't think I that was possible I don't know but I kind of kept I kept training I kept doing classes they kind of just continued to exponentially grow how many nights a week I was going to different classes and stuff like that um, and then at the time graduating from high school the con didn't have musical theatre at that mm. point they had jazz and they had opera um, and because I'd done two uh, children's choruses into opera Queensland productions it was sort of like oh well, why don't you try opera and it's a fantastic foundational kind of singing um technique to learn I suppose mm. so I went there but it just was sort of like a square peg in a round hole kind yeah, of it wasn't, working out. wasn't working and that's when I kind of thought well no okay I'm going to give it a go and I auditioned for Whopper, AIM and Ballarat because that was the year um, that VCA Had, yeah wasn't doing it at the time correct yeah, yeah. so um, anyway and I ended up going to Ballarat and it's sort of you know it's a big change from Queensland huge change <laughs> just temperature wise if nothing else <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But I think what was so so special about it was that it's this tiny, not tiny little country town, but coming from growing up in Brisbane in Queensland, considerably smaller, and so many of the um, of my classmates weren't from Ballarat. That we had a handful, but most people were in the same boat as me. So everyone was feeling the same things. We were all kind of, you know, helping each other out. We all kind of, well, some, most of us had cars. I had a car, and we could kind of, it was kind of cool as well, because it was yeah. the first time living out of home, and yeah. you have all this newfound freedom and, and completely fending for yourself and that kind of stuff absolutely. while also doing an, an intensive course absolutely um so i'm so glad i went because not only obviously did i grow as a artist but as a human you just learn some things yeah, yeah. oh yeah that's the best way to do it isn't it yeah absolutely no safety net of going no. <laughs> wonderful so you did your three years at uh -huh. papa i'm assuming loved it you know but it's always uh bit of a roller coaster in, in acting school yeah no I think I am um, from from all accounts what I remember being told anyway and I think it, this is a pretty f accurate um, description I was very much a wallflower for the first part of the course um, I remember being told that in like my end of semester kind of uh, review yeah. it was sort of like you know we went to mark you but we didn't I couldn't remember who Sarah Morrison was. That's not a good thing. You need not to acting, no. no. And it was very true. I was just um and that's me I generally anyway, I definitely observe a lot, so yeah. probably spend a little maybe too much time just sitting on the edge it's and a good watching. Skill, 
But yeah, so it definitely gave me a real kick to kind of push myself, like push myself outside of my comfort zone, and it it definitely paid off because you only get out of those courses what you put in. Exactly. No one's going to do the work for you, and um, I think once I that clicked and it was sort of like right this is it this is okay cool you went to high gear for the rest of it totally yeah, yeah. And you get the most out of it great sure amazing well then so you graduated obviously um, and then you did a few children's musicals mm-hmm. yeah and I've done a couple of those and <laughs> if anything I have found it taught you work ethic oh yeah, yeah. And energy levels, energy management. What did you get out of it? You work so hard, mm. so hard on those shows, um, because also they don't normally have this the amount of staff that you have on on a big commercial show. So you're doing a lot of stuff, you're fending for yourself a lot, but you learn so much. Mm. <laughs> you learn a lot about work ethic and working oh, yeah. together as a you know as a team. Um, so that was really really cool. Um, I did a show called Dust um, in Adelaide and Brisbane. It was a, um, a kind of community-based show about asbestos survivors. That was really interesting, working... Um, Mark Seymour from Hunters and Collectors wrote the music for that. So that was really cool. No way. Um, yeah. But then, basically, I had a very up-and-down kind of transition out, which we had been, you know, warned that that, that is the reality for quite a few Spend people. Spend most of your time at unemployment. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, so I did kind of bits and pieces here, but um, I guess what I didn't realise at the time was that I still came across as being incredibly young. Mm. And that, I guess, was confirmed when my first role was playing a 17-year-old. So. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. That was a perfect segue. Now, your breakout role was in Ladies in Black. Yes. With Lisa, the yes. lead. Um, so uh, not only are you going from, you know, relative obscurity, if you don't mind me saying. Absolutely. To no, the great. star of a show, but it's a new show. Mm. Talk to me about that. First of all, actually, let's start with you getting the phone call. So <laughs> right. you're doing Lisa. Yeah. And do you know what? I think um, being super naive and really, really unclear about what the scenario was mm. was probably to my benefit <laughs> because I think I thought, oh, I'm doing this like little show and I'm, you know, oh, I, I speak a lot. Like, you know, I didn't, I, there were certain real pin drop. Is it pin drop? Light bulb, maybe? It's probably light a better bulb. light yeah, bulb moment. Yeah, more about silence, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the penny drops. Yeah, the penny drop. The penny, well, penny dropping light bulbing moments that kind of happened. Yeah. Um, like, you know, peppering that experience. But I definitely, you know what, I really don't think I understood, which I think was a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> Take some stress off it, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I remember walking in that first day of rehearsals and, you know, as most um, shows start, there's like a morning tea kind of, you know, getting to know you welcome hour, half hour, hour or so. And I, mum dropped me off, I walked straight in the door, saw the crowd of people, walked straight through the crowd of people, straight to the toilet, locked myself in a cubicle and started deep breathing because I was just like, it was just so overwhelming. So that's when it hit you. Yeah, that was... who you are going to be on stage with. Yeah, penny drop number one. And I'm <laughs> looking across at like Bobby Fox, Lucy Wanda, these people who I just absolutely look up to, have watched on stage, you know. Oh, and <laughs> uh, yeah, and so from there we just, we were straight in the work. And I think that was a blessing as well because we were working all working so hard and on the other side of the table on this side of the table we were all working so so hard and I think it definitely shows it in the in the product that came out at the end yeah. um, I mean doing a, an Australian tour not just doing it in the one city is proof that you're onto something yeah yeah and you know I think we all had a really 
great time working together and, and making it as well. And it's so exciting to see it now being produced um, in smaller scales. It's yeah. been released for amateur rights. So Turned into a movie as um, well. Yep. And that, I mean, that was trippy watching that because I forgot, I mean, they've obviously taken a lot of the dialogue straight from the book, which is exactly what the musical did. Mm. So hearing these lines, all this dialogue that I listened to, that I spoke, mm. it was very cool. But I think that, yeah, I think as a kid, I remember watching shows and I was always really fascinated by the curtain call. Mm. You know, maybe being like a real A-type personality, like wondering, trying to understand the order in which people bow and why people bow, certain people bow before others, yeah. you know. And yeah, another probably a bit a big penny drop moment. We were blocking the curtain call, which normally happens right at the end, right behind it before you move to the theatre. It's a superstitious thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And um, and I I guess I I soon saw that I was bowing last. And not only that, like Simon asked me to change into this lisette, the dress, and put on a red lip, which was <laughs> so you know it was a was a really bold statement for that character. Mm. So that was that was a real oh. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So um, you did the Queensland season, then it returned a little bit later. Yeah, so the first kind of iteration of it was a co-production between Queensland Theatre and Melbourne Theatre Company. Great. Um, and it was at, we did very well in Queensland, but it was really at Melbourne Theatre Company where the, it was sold out by the end of the second week. That was really where it was like, wow. And I think that's where the um, cogs started turning in terms of figuring out some kind of a semblance of like a East Coast tour or mm. a tour to wherever it could possibly go. Yeah. Great. Oh, so you didn't stop there. Um, you went from one lead to another lead of a show that you've already discussed. Yes, oh, yeah. How was that? Yeah, that was um, that was very. It was awesome. Yeah. And like I said, like, you know, Mamma Mia was one of the first shows I saw. Yeah. One so of, a bit of a dream role. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you know what? And I guess this is me and my own like stuff in my head I thought oh I couldn't possibly be Sophie like I'm really I have very fair skin and like I've got dark hair and you know, anyway but like it doesn't obviously like you know <laughs> theatre fake tan <laughs> wigs oh, yes. so, <laughs> but you know and so that was um that was very cool and she's so different to Sophie different time different kind of girl so that was really cool to do that and the um, music was really different as well and uh, how did you go with putting your own spin on it because it was a very different production to ones previously yeah I think we were, like that was really cool and we were really lucky to be part of that kind of experience everybody in the room because mm. we all got some kind of everyone left their mark on that particular production which was really special like you know everyone had their own kind of little yeah, like left their mark. Yeah. And um, it was cool working... Well, it's, I guess it's different. It was more similar to my experience on Ladies in Luck than I thought it was going to be because we were creating new blocking mm. with our director, Gary, and things were kind of shaping with us, you know, in, in the room, which is a little bit different to... We'll get to it, but come from away because we are... It is There is a Bible, and we are working off very specific mm. marks. Um so I was actually really surprised how similar the experience was to Ladies in Black. I was expecting it to be more, no, go here, do this. Yeah. And did you enjoy that kind of artistic freedom that comes with that? Yeah, totally. That yeah. was really good. Yeah. Um, well, how about uh, doing tours? We haven't discussed oh, yeah. the actual going from city to city. How do you find going from, because I'm guessing your home is still Queensland, uh, what is it like in terms of where you feel at home? Yeah, I think only maybe in the last year, well, 
Melbourne now, but still very much like Queensland is a family home. Is Queensland. Family home. Family yeah. home is Queensland. Home base is Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so how do you how do you go with moving to different cities? The you know it's uh, not often discussed, but lifting up your whole life and transferring it to a whole other state. Yeah. But not for years, just for months. Yeah, I think you definitely get better at it. You get better at figuring figuring out you know really what you need and what you might not need. Mm. You get better at figuring out. Um, you know, the places, like, you might, if you do tour a couple of times and you know the places that you like going in Sydney or the places mm. that you really like going in Perth, and all those sort of things help get better at, you know, I find that actually making your um, station at work where you get ready, that kind of ritual, I think that makes it feel homey as well when you're travelling with your bits and pieces that make you feel like even when you come to work every day, you've got, like, that really nice foundation for mm. then going and doing the show. Things like that. Yeah. It's, um... It's a bit of trial and error, honestly, because everyone's different. Everyone prefers different creature comforts. And it's, it's definitely just sort of, yeah, figuring out what your sort of, your special, like, mix is. Finding little anchors or... Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Great. Well, that's very helpful information. Thank you. <laughs> um, now, you not only have you done musical theatre, you've done a bit of TV as well. How, mm. what's the, you know, the major differences you found on your television experience compared to doing stage shows um are they very very different and i've only done like i mean a a little bit and actually now it feels like a whole other lifetime ago because it has been a little while but i do remember just being very it's it's, there's different there's definitely a different language Mm -hmm. there's definitely a different um pace and different techniques um that kind of fit that realm better than they might you know this one so um i'd love to do more as i get older and and definitely keep working on those kinds of skills but it's it's one of those things as well you're just like a muscle you need to keep exercising it's very different you know showing a thousand people how you're feeling you know, as opposed to sending it like down a barrel yeah to possibly you know imagining it's just that one person but yeah very different awesome well it's a pretty cool experience to be able to go between the two yeah sure. I definitely want to um, oh, I'd love to do more and and, and um, I guess learn so the language better <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess well, you've done a couple other shows you're a good man Charlie Brown so oh, yeah. blues yes. stuff like that yes. um, but what we're really here to talk about is Come From Away Come From Away so you guys have got your first audience pretty soon I think yeah so we do our family and friends next Tuesday so basically just under a week a week wow. yeah and so, so talk to me about um, Come From Away. Were you in London when you found out uh, you got cast? No, I, I, I was back home in Australia. But um, I wasn't actually, while I was in London, I wasn't planning on seeing it because I thought, well, I'll just see the Australian cast. Mm. So I really wasn't planning on seeing it. And um, for, for whatever reason, it actually wasn't really on my like, list, my, you know, things. I saw 17 shows while I was there, um, including that one now. But yeah, <laughs> I, it wasn't one of the ones I was going to hit. And um, I just was having a bit of a homesick day and I contacted my friend and I said, oh, let's go out and see a show. And he already had a ticket to see it. So I thought, oh, all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to Yeah, so I got a rush ticket and I was sitting there and um, I think definitely, I mean, full disclosure, I think I had the wrong impression about what I'd heard about the show or what I thought it to be just from listening to it. I didn't. And I think that's what's um, interesting about trying to explain what the show's about to people because a huge part of it I do believe is it's 
experiencing it mm. you can you can explain you know the context and, and the sort of line, yeah you can talk about that forever but but experiencing it mm. and the room and what it does to a group of strangers is unlike anything I've ever seen it was the one show I walked out of you know on a London street on a Wednesday night raining and people are sort of trying to get out and bottlenecking out through those small kind of corridors everyone's head was up everyone was making eye contact people were talking to strange I, I've just it was unlike anything I'd seen coming out of a show right the, the what it did to how it so immediately touched the people in the audience unbelievable yeah, I've never seen anything like that. So it's pretty exciting to be a part of the group of people who will be giving that experience yeah. out to other people, I guess. Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, I personally underestimated this show, and I think um, it's hard... It's definitely a hard one to, to sell off of the idea... You know, you don't want to give it away. No. <laughs> and you can't... And also, you can't really give it away because it's hard to explain what it is that touches you but some of the slogans that are out the front of the theatre really do ring true about you know the idea of it being that um uh oh god it's about um the best in humanity that's it coming from some possibly some of the worst aspects yes. of humanity and community and yeah. looking out for each other and really dissecting that human spirit mm. and um yes you know 2001 was I mean, we're getting close to 20 years ago. Everyone remembers where they were. Absolutely. And part of our, you know, part of our table work um, in preparation for getting up on the floor during rehearsals was we all went around the room and spoke about where we were mm. because um, it is a, it's a really a shared experience for the people who were, who do remember where they were or what happened. I was yeah. 11, but I still do remember the weight of that day, watching yeah. the grown-ups around me I was reading it off them more than anything because I think you know watching the TV at first it just looked like an action film it didn't look real the only thing that triggered for me was the cheese TV wasn't on yeah right yeah Yeah, I was 10 I came in I think it was even during the holidays to watch and just seeing my mum reacting to the TV I saw her reaction before I even saw the TV and then you kind of you took the the adults cue to figure out oh Holy crap. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's... Um, I, I totally agree. I, I read more out of watching my parents react to it mm. and going, oh, wait a second, this is this is, this is is big. Mm. And But also not understanding as an 11-year-old, I, I kind of remember thinking, well, why aren't they just running down the stairs? Like, you know, mm. I'm sure they can get down the stairs. I didn't... I, you know, it's so really hard. I no idea. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was really fascinating, going around the table and everyone sharing that because mm. it gave, you know... It's it's what links we we all have that in common anyway. Mm. Our shared experience of what happened that day. Mm. And this is the the musical is like a relatively unknown story about a direct result of that the tragedy. But it really highlights how good people can be absolutely in the face of crisis and potentially un overwhelming numbers of anything that kind of thing but everyone came together and yeah and I think I, I really found it hard to get my head around that when I was preparing for this and I found like an online like ratio calculator because I needed to because you know I was reading the script and even in my own kind of dialogue I talk about the fact that the population went from 9,000 to 16,000 overnight that you know 7,000 people arrived mm. 
And I thought, yeah, okay. But I'm like, okay, hold on. Let's just put, like, let's extrapolate that. And it's literally like three and a half million to almost four million people arriving in Melbourne. Couldn't build anything now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And needing somewhere to stay, needing somewhere to, you know, it's... It's, it was huge for them, and they just didn't bat an eyelid. They just went in there, took the shirts off their backs, and looked after these people who were in shock. This was before mobiles, you know, yeah. some of the people on certain planes. It was up to the pilot's discretion whether they told the passengers what was going on. So some of them were sitting on the tarmac just Not knowing. having no idea. Yeah. Um, and then coming off and finally seeing those images on the TV... And that just, you know, that kind of moment of going, knowing that they, mm. I don't know, were, were the lucky ones who, you know, so many different layers oh, going on so on that day. Better. Yeah. Oof. A lot, to, a lot to see, a lot to take in. Yeah. Um, but let's steer away into sure. some, some lighter territory, yes. perhaps. Um, so you're playing Janice and others. Yes. Um, now, Janice and most of the, all the other characters are based on real life people. Yes, all of them. They're so all true stories. have you had a chance to talk to Janice to learn her story from her and like kind of use that to inform your character or, or is that more you're just taking it all from the script and at the moment um I will so Janice which like similar to some other characters she's a composite of um so I play Janice Mosier who is a composite of Janice Gowdy and Brian Mosier so um Brian was the one who was actually working for Rogers TV Janice was working for the Gander Beacon and um it was her first week at work second day oh, yeah yeah madness yeah crazy um so uh I um I haven't spoken to them personally but there is lots like thanks to the internet there is lots of stuff out there some interviews and things like that and I've, I've researched them um and I can't wait to meet her and hopefully Brian if he's coming out as well um so no but it's there's a lot in the script and obviously even I guess as their job as the people who are trying to get the news out there it's about getting that information across there's a really great interview with Brian on YouTube and he's sort of saying you know they, he was working off a fax mas- machine, wow. so he was getting faxes through. Like, we laugh about fax machines these days. It's amazing. I wouldn't know how to work a fax machine if I tried, <laughs> but, like, he was getting faxes in and some just handwritten notes saying, okay, please send, if, if anyone's got, you know, uh, bread, can you yeah. please bring it down here? And then it was, like, another fax going, scratch that, we've got enough, it's okay. So they're just going through this pile of faxes trying to get up to date kind of information to get out there. Um... Which is crazy because he said in this interview that he was only getting a handful of emails through. No, no one was really working off of emails back then. Yeah. And he had, you know, a phone in his pocket the size of a brick. So, again, it's really hard to... Probably a switchboard with, like, six different ones coming in. And it's so hard to imagine now we've, you know, attached to our iPhones and things like that. So... Well, that makes the, the experience of people actually connecting after the show that much more magical. Absolutely. Especially nowadays, no one talks to strangers. No. No. Or even, like, sometimes when I go for a walk, I smile at people, and some people seem really scared. Not scared, but, like, they're like, why are you smiling at me? What are you doing to me? Stop it. Let me just be in my own my yeah. here. I don't want to engage in it positively with anyone. Yeah, and I think probably maybe that's what this show does. It sort of, bring, like, you know, pulls back that kind of curtain a little bit and brings people out. Breaks people's walls down too. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I mean... If that's not worth the re- one worthwhile reason to see it, I don't know what is. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, no, I think um, I'm so excited to see how Melbourne responds to this show. Mm. 
and the bits that they find funny because it's what I think I was most shocked about is how funny it is because yeah like we were kind of talking before about September 11th I can easily kind of take us to a certain place but what is so shocking about this show not shocking but like surprising it is so funny Mm. I was in stitches through it and I didn't expect that and it was funny watching the Londoners laugh at Nick Marson the British character they Mm. thought he was hilarious (laughs) every time he opened his mouth they were pissing themselves they thought he was hilarious so it's going to be really interesting to see which bits Australian audiences really tune into and mm. yeah it might be different and are you guys doing the Canadian accents as well yes yeah, so the, the gander accent is um, is largely what all of us have to do at some point um, yeah so I have that accent for Janice yeah um, which it's kind of a bit like an onion with like sort of the American and the Canadian and like the Irish kind oh, of gosh. little you know little sounds sprinkles little there. sprinkles like the oi and the ar things like that so that's that's fun but once it's um once it's kind of in your mouth, so to speak, it's mm. actually, it really does flow. And it's, they can talk really fast. Like some interviews, they just like, brrr, they talk so fast. Mm. Um, so we, um, our accent coach, Joel, has been incredible working with us on that. And my secondary accent that I do mostly is a, a Texan accent. Which is fun. That's fun. I really like I'm that really one. Really sitting that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be. Yeah. I find I, I flick to that one more so than the gander. I just mm. I love that Texan accent. Oh, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that one's fun. Um, and you also get to make some animal noises. Cat, dog, sure. monkey. Mm-hmm. Here all night. Why not? Um, yeah. I'm guessing you'll just keep adding animal noises <laughs> as the season goes on. <laughs> See what you can get up at with. <laughs> well, when I first saw the script and I was like. Oh, because when I saw the show, I thought the animal noises were just uh, a um, oh a click track. A click track. No, it's, it's you guys. The actors are making the animal noises. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, there you go. The magic of theatre. <laughs> <laughs> I went to drama school. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting paid for this. Yeah. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Um, Sarah, I think that's all we have time for. You have a very busy couple of days. Um, thank you so much Pleasure. for coming on. I cannot wait to see the show. Have an amazing season. Thank you. And um, yeah. I don't know what else to say. I'm very excited to see it. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Next is my conversation with Janice Goody. There is a little bit of background noise, but I hope it doesn't detract too much. Enjoy. Hey mates, I'm here with a very, very special uh, interview with Janice Goody, who is one of the inspirations for the musical Come From Away. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule in Melbourne. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Um, So Janice is over in Melbourne, all the way over from uh, Canada. Um, So I guess, how are you finding it so far? So far, so good. It took a couple days to adjust. 13 hours time difference. So for us, it's uh, the day before. Yeah. So we actually lost a day into the future. Yeah, but you'll get a whole day on the way back. It's That's weird like exactly that. That's exactly right. Um, and I hear you've been to a football match. How'd you find that? Yeah, we went to see footy, yeah. as they call it. Did uh, you have a meat pie? <laughs> yes, we had meat pies as well. <laughs> we're, we're taking in all the culture. Yeah, I, yeah, say, well, I mean, yeah. That, that is peak Australian culture right there. Having a beer and a, and a, a pie at the footy doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, as I mentioned, Janice is, um, along with Brian Mosier, is the 
the inspiration for the character Janice Moja. Um, and it's, uh, it's I mean, I saw the show the other day and it is pretty like it? incredible. Yeah. I, full, full spectrum of emotions. I, I was ugly crying at one point and cheering and, and laughing and I just, uh, the, the day that I saw it, there was just a mass kind of uh, standing ovation at the end and that doesn't often happen here. You have to really earn it in Australia so you know you're onto something special when that happens but I'm guessing it's a pretty personal show to you. How for you even, how many times have you seen it? I actually have lost count to be you're honest. Now I know there's other parts of our group who have seen it like over a hundred times. Wow. I typically try to save it for the opening nights. We've been fortunate enough to go and open this show in a number of places and it's always emotional. Mm. Like to stand there and, and, and to hear your name being called out on the stage for what is very unusual. Yeah. Because um, my husband only says my full name when I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, to hear that is, is kind of strange. And then to see people crying and laughing and just excited about it and, and to hear the words come out of the actors' mouths that you've said and it just brings you right back in time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but, wow, it's, um, it's, as you mentioned, going back in time, it's, it's uh, an experience that everyone who's alive remembers where they were. Absolutely. It's, it's not something that you you can really uh, you know understand as a kid, but you rem- I remember it vividly even now, which is insane. But I mean, let's talk about your experience. Where were you when it, when it happened? I was at work. It was my first day on the job. I was a newspaper reporter in Gander. I moved to town that weekend. Started work on Monday, and 9/11 happened on Tuesday. Wow. Yeah. So. So I remember getting a call and, and somebody telling me, and, and at the point I was 21, so at the point, uh, at that time, I, I didn't understand really what it meant. I mean, we're in small town Newfoundland. What, what difference does it make what happens in New York City? How are we affected by that? So I went home for my lunch break, and I remember I turned on, on the TV too and, and saw the incident and, and what was being covered and happened, and they said all these planes are going to be landing at international airports, and I thought, hmm, I believe there's an international airport here in Canada. I does that mean anything for us? Probably not, but I'll just we'll mention right. it to my boss when I go back. And uh, he said, go up to the airport and go now. And uh, it was just unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So so how, how close, I guess, is the character of Janice to your experience? Were you, um, is a newspaper reporter, did you get in front of a camera at all? Or was it just recording uh, interviews with people who were coming off the planes and locals who were doing everything in their power? to make them as comfortable as possible. Well, that's how the interesting part is. Because it's a combination Mm. of both myself and Brian Moser's story, Brian was volunteering as um, a a television host. We have a local community channel, Rogers TV, and so he was on the television, and so he's the TV component of the character. Mm. For me, it was about taking pictures and interviewing people and going around and getting stories that week. Um, So there's there's pieces of, of my story that come out in the character, and there's pieces of Brian's story that comes out, but Sarah stands there on stage and she says things word for word that I told David and Irene when they were writing, you know, we met 10 years after the fact, they were in Gander for the 10th anniversary, I was working in tourism at that time, I had taken a step back from journalism, and um, 
they came in and they said, yeah, we're writing a musical. And it was like, okay, good luck with that. Yeah, that's yeah. an interesting choice of, yeah. uh, of, of topic there. <laughs> that's right. Not sure we'll what, what you're going to do with it, but uh, yeah. And, I mean, it's just an amazing story. Yeah, it's it's a triumph, really. I mean, it could be it could be a story that is just wallowing in the, the, the terrible aspects of it, but it's such a celebration of yeah. humanity. And I, I think that's why it resonates with so many people, because in in a time where the world was, you know, really going through this, this torture torment, something good was happening in this little community where mm. people were opening their doors and mm. welcoming strangers inside their homes. So Canadian. It, absolutely <laughs> it Canadian. Is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, another, another aspect, I guess, is, uh, I think something that gets really hit in the show is that every Everyone, all the locals were up for days on end yeah. doing everything they could. How, how, how many hours were you up for? Did you lose track or was it... Yeah, it was um, It was a very strange experience for me being new in town. Mm. I remember the boss would say, you know, go down to the Elks Club and interview somebody and I'd be like, well, where is the Elks Club? How do I get there and who is this that I'm interviewing? So yeah. it was a, a really strange experience. I didn't... I wasn't up as many hours as what Claude, you know, the mayor was or what Brian was on TV and things like that, but... Uh, yeah, well, you all helped out where you could, and, and you stepped in and, and did what you had to do at that time. It was it's just part of being there in the in the moment and in the experience. I remember I, I went to uh, the school and I was interviewing people. And there was a lot of people on their honeymoon. A lot of people were either on their way to their honeymoons or they were coming back from honeymoons. So that was kind of a, a weird experience. Yeah. And there was this this couple, and it was about two days after the fact. So this was about Wednesday or Thursday at that point. And I said, do you want to ride uptown? You know, not that it's far. <laughs> but uh, I said, do you guys want to ride somewhere? And they're like, yeah, sure we do. They were like, you know, where's Terre-Neuve? Where, where are we? We came in on a France flight. We have no idea where is Terre-Neuve. But I said, it's Newfoundland and Labrador. And they're like, oh, we know where that place is. So this was like two days after the fact. They, they were still, they had no idea where yeah. in the world they were. So, the, I mean, uh, as, a, as a journalist, you want to make things as clear and as concise and factually correct as possible. How was it dealing with people who hadn't been told what was going on when they were coming off the planes? From from the stories, it was completely up to the captain's discretion as to how much information they let loose. So, uh, did you have to break the news to anyone? And how was that? Is it kind of an otherworldly experience? I didn't break the news to anyone, thank goodness. Um, I was interviewing people who still didn't know where loved ones were. Um, you know, in the, in the musical you hear about the, the lady from Queens and she didn't know where her son was. Well, that, that happened. And I remember after the interview holding it together as long as I could. She's crying. I'm trying my best not to and then I went out in my car and I just sat down and I just broke down mm. because how can you not you know at the end of the day you're hearing all these stories and, and, and these people are still human and they're still being impacted by what's happening see I still get emotionally yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah. it right now <laughs> you're making me tear up too you bugger <laughs> oh my um, it's just yeah it's um, it's incredible the kind of I'm lost for words at this point, which is great for an audio medium, but we got there. Um, so, so how, how, just sitting on this fact while we're in it, how, how did you initially react when you turned on the TV? Was there anyone around or were you... No, I was home by myself and um, was in my little apartment. So, and I turned on the TV and I saw it and at first it was like, what just happened? Mm. What, what was that? Is this a movie? 
Yeah. You know, what's going on here? Um, and after we went to the airport, they didn't know what was going on. So they took all the media who were there. So it was myself as a newspaper reporter, one of the guys from CBC, who's, who's our equivalent to like ABC, say. Um, so he was there, and, and then there wasn't many of us in town, very small. And they put us in a room, and um, they were like, okay, you guys have to stay there because we don't know what's happening. They didn't want us reporting on things or sharing any information. So we were there for several hours before we were allowed to come out and before we understood what was taking place. And so when we came out and all these flights and all these planes had landed, and then yeah. you see the buses and people mobilizing, and, and I remember being outside of the, the fence to the airport, to the tarmac, and, and the bus came by, and people were just looking completely lost, and I mean, can, can you imagine being on a bus and not knowing where you've been? You were just on a plane. You were just headed somewhere. You're not in the country you thought you were going to be. Yeah. yeah. And then you're on a bus, and it's like, where are you going? What's happening? What's 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 going on? And no one. Uh, it's the whole thing of no one really knows. So how can they tell you what's going on? Exactly. Yeah. It's um. It's crazy. Uh, now, uh, uh, another aspect of it was, I mean, mobile phones were the exception, not the rule back then, right. which is crazy to think about in today's world. But um, Sarah told me you guys, like, Brian was receiving faxes that he had to be, like, reading on, on air. And, and that is the, you know, communicating by fax sounds so archaic. But uh, how did you guys deal with the technology limits you had at the time? Well, you didn't know that you had technology limits yeah. at the time. That's the thing, right? I mean, yeah. that was just the way the world was um, I was taking pictures with, with film and so it's not like you were taking shots with a digital camera and so I've gone back and I've looked at some of the images that I took at the time and you're taking pictures and thinking oh this is a good one but you're hoping for the best and mm. then afterwards you're developing film and, and you got and your the, finger in front of it <laughs> exactly and the funny thing was is I remember um, my editor said okay this is a big event we're going to shoot in colored film this week and it's like wow we're, we're using colored film this is huge <laughs> what is going on because normally we had um, black and white film and we yeah. had our own developing room, so we would just go in and develop the film every week, right? But this, we had to take the film then and send it off to a processor because mm. it was colored and get it back and flick through the images. So it was, yeah, it was pretty archaic. But yeah. at the time, like I said, we didn't... Cutting we didn't, edge at the time. Yeah, course. you didn't know any different. <laughs> and that was one of the other things that I, I always uh, sticks in my mind is the telephone company put telephones mm. outside their building. Mm. And so they had tables where they had run lines and put telephones out there for people to call. Mm. And that was the only way that people could really call home. And so yeah. you're driving down the road, and it was the main road, and there would be people in the parking lot all sitting down on, on the phone. The phone. I know there was that, that line um, that they had to put the out-of-order uh, signs up on the, the payphones at the airport to actually get people moving. Yeah. Otherwise, they would just be lined up there all day yeah. waiting for it. I mean, yeah, it's fantastic. We actually had that capability of reaching across the world to find out what was happening. Because um, we have... More, my my mum's um, cousin lived in New York at the time, so we were oh, wow. trying to, desperately to get through to him. He was okay because he lived on Long Island. Good. But, you know, a bit of, bit of panic there for a little while. Yeah. 
Um, now, uh, as you mentioned before, the character in the show is a composition of you and Brian. Um, and I mean, you've basically already answered the question. I was going to ask about the accuracy of the character, and you said that Sarah's saying you know, lines that came directly out of your mouth 10 years previously. But yeah. um, is there any, anything that is, a, you know, taking, taking, the, taking the character and really extending it a bit further than normal? Or is it pretty accurate? It's pretty accurate. And all the characters are pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's some of the uh, interesting aspects of why it resonates with people too. Because people ask that question, they're like, "Yeah, but you know, it's a musical. They yeah. must have, you know, added on a little bit." And we're like, "No, no, that's, that's exactly what happens." You know, yeah, we when sang they, and danced exactly like that. During the- yeah, we do it all the time. <laughs> we, you know, we practice a lot beforehand, so we get it all in in, yeah. in sync. But once we get out there, watch out. Look out. Yeah. Um, and uh, another line that stuck out with me because. Um, <laughs> I knew I was going to be interviewing it was Oprah. Did you did you actually meet Oprah? So that was Brian's story. That was Brian's yeah, story. Yeah, and it was a, a staff member from Oprah's show mm. reached out to him because at the time he was one of the only people who had footage mm. um, because, it, again, people couldn't come into the community to cover the events. It was really whoever was in town covering well, it. There's no air traffic and ex- exactly. it takes three days to get in any other way. <laughs> so they did reach out to him and ask him for that and mm. he did keep the message on his phone. I believe he still has a recording on his cell phone now. Oh really? That you can hear. Oh. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, but, I mean, she's a pretty <laughs> incredible woman. Though, oh, Oprah. absolutely. Um, now, a, a bit of a, a, a I guess weird question, but what does being Canadian mean to you? It means everything to me. Everything. Mm. I mean, we we travel ourselves, my husband and I, we travel a lot, and we've gone to a number of different countries, and it's always magnificent to see how people live in other areas, but to go home and, you know, know that we live in a land that's free and and full of snow, which we absolutely love, and, you know, not, not hot climate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, being Canadian means everything to me, it really does, and, and we love where we're from. Uh, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. It's great to visit, but... Uh, Home is yeah. where the heart is. Home is where the heart is. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and you're still a journalist, uh, I understand. I am, yeah. Um, you did do the step back to do the tourism, but uh, what brought you back into journalism? I, well, I had a phone call, and they said, hey, we want you to come and, and host a radio show. Um, but... I think I'm just a very inquisitive person Mm. and I like telling and hearing people's stories and and I just love sitting down and chatting with people Mm. and I've always been like I'm not the storyteller I like hearing other people tell their stories and and just being that person who can navigate through that yeah it's just it's amazing it's a a great opportunity to to hear and and be part of people's lives for just a short period of time and help to spread those stories that's right um, and last question, because uh, we have to wrap this up. Um, as you weren't a, originally a Gander local, have you been screeched in? Well, I am a Newfoundlander. Oh, so that's... So I don't... I, I'm, so you know, by proxy, I'm good. <laughs> proxy, I don't have good. to do that. But the screech is really tasty. Yeah? Yes. Are you sure? Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for coming on, Janice. Thank I really you. appreciate it. Thanks for journeying out to our foreign land as well. It's oh, a fair trip. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. So excited. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your stay. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Next up is my chat with Brian Mosier, the other half of Janice Mosier from the show. 
once again, there's a little bit of background noise, but I hope it doesn't detract from the conversation too much. I'm currently joined by Brian Mosher, the other half of Janice Mosher from the show. Thank you so much for joining me, Brian. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, now, I've asked everyone who's uh, come from away to hear, um, how are you finding Australia so far? We are loving it, and you know, you're very similar to Newfoundlanders. Uh, your level of hospitality, your friendliness, your, your smiles and so on, like... There has to be a historical connection between us because there's a very, our cultures are very, very, very similar. I feel that as well. Yeah. I, I have um, family in Canada, so every time I awesome. go over there, I just feel like I've gone on a very long plane ride home. It is. Yeah, no, we're very, 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 very similar as people, and yeah. uh, I, I love that. So we're loving it. Well, that's a very big compliment, so thank you very much. And I'm, I'm even on a sleep schedule now, so, yeah, which is... That's the challenge, isn't it? Different. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, now, Brian uh, was uh, at... Rogers Television. I was. Uh, so that's the uh, that part of Janice comes from, I guess. It is. I was actually the only on-air. We have one of everything in Gander, so mm. Janice was the reporter, and I was the on-air person at Rogers TV. And I was also the local high school media teacher. Right. So uh, it kind of stretches you a little bit for those five days. Yeah, uh, Nights imagine. at school and uh, daytime, three live shows a day for four days at Rogers TV. Wow. Yeah. Um, now, now, can you tell me where you were when you found out? My day started on September 11th. I thought the only problem I was going to have that day was at school. Uh, our entire support system was on strike, bus drivers, custodians, secretaries, so just teaching staff in buildings. And I also had a wire that was broken on my closed circuit system in the building. I thought that was my two major challenges for the day. So I went to work, uh, would fix the cable, and uh, the easiest way to test it was to run live cable. Because even at school, we had a studio. Yeah. But it was an affiliate of Rogers TV and Gander, so I had free cable coming in. So I just ran a pulse through out of my head in room. And there was a picture of the North Tower. There was smoke coming out of the window when I ran live TV. Now, traditionally, our live TV would be cartoons or music videos for the kids staying for lunch. Mm. Then we go to scrolling announcements during the day. So I thought it was a local, just some a, a regional thing, because it said plane hits World Trade Center. I went, you know, I guess Buddy didn't get his pilot's license or something, because it was never as big as it was. Mm. But I tried to change the channel, and it was there again, there again, there again, there again, there again. Eventually, a couple of the kids who were working on things in the outer media room would come in and join me, and they wouldn't leave it either, and we would watch the plane hit the South Tower. Wow. And suddenly, it became very, very big. Yeah. It becomes huge in front of you. And especially with kids there, how to because well, they'd be yeah. looking to you for how to react. Yeah. You know, so the day would go on. We would watch, right on our lunch hour, we'd watch the North Tower fall. A uh, million questions that afternoon, not a lot of teaching done, a lot of questions answered from, from scared kids, because we were always told that in the event of a war, Gander would be a strategic point to take out. We happened to because be in the Gander. Air, yeah, the airfield. Called into a staff meeting at 2.30, told we had to turn Gander Collegiate into a hotel, uh, with maybe a couple of hours to do it, uh, which is where I became a media person for one of the first times. I called my producer, uh, he went in and changed the scrolling announcements at Rogers, and I was dictating on the old, old Motorola flip phone. All right, the Motorola Razor, the, the brick, oh, yeah. you know, the brick, the full size, oh, you know, wow. pound and a half of phone with 100 airtime minutes on it, and then it cut out. <laughs> I had the deluxe plan; the regular was 40. Oh, watch out! Yeah, and my two buddies in radio, they were doing the same thing because we're a close media media community in Gander. Uh, passengers would arrive at midnight. Uh, you spent that night putting up spot fires. 
started to fall asleep around 4.30 in the morning, sliding down the cafeteria wall till the East German passengers realized it was breakfast time in Germany. They came down, so now we're making breakfast. But all it was driving me was I would get home at 9 o'clock the next morning after 27 hours on my feet and go to bed. Mm. Between standing up at the foot of my bed and falling in it, my producer called me. Oh, no. I was on the air in an hour. Oh, wow. So I said I would go in for one show. That's fine because planes fly away. It's Gander. They land, they take off. They're never there very long. Well, I found that there would be a midday show and I found out there would be a supper time show and then five days later I went home. I stayed awake. Well, you have to. Well, you have to. I mean, the the adrenaline running through you that whole time would have been insane. Three live shows a day for four days, 12th to the 16th, and, and it depletes you. Yeah, right. Really. But, you know, the theme of 9-11 and Gander is that if you could do something to move the process along, never mind yourself, get it done. Mm. I was the on-air face of community television. There wasn't a second on-air face of community television. It was one of everything in Ganda. Yeah. As my producer told me on day four, do not lean on a wall, don't sit down, don't lie down, I don't have a plan B. Mm. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> and he said, by the way, you just spoke to a Spanish family, and I don't think you speak Spanish. No. 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 I was about as tired as I've ever, I've ever wow. been in my life. You would have slept well afterwards. For two days. Wow. Yeah. Went to bed Saturday night, got up on Monday. Just. Wow. And... The worst sleep hangover I've ever had in my life. I couldn't chain together a full sentence. But, you know, even on, even on the end of the week, I was having trouble reading a full sentence. So, you know, if you see some of the footage, I glanced twice at the paper. Friday morning when I signed on, I look at my watch to see what day it was. You know, I, I've gone back and looked at the tapes since, and mm. it is, and I look at my watch, and Friday the, you know, and you went off from there. <laughs> you know, and 12 shows in four days with minimal prep, and a lot of it, they were, they were going together while you were on the air. Mm. Minimal prep and no sleep. Minimal prep, no sleep, got a load of coffee, so you get indigestion like you wouldn't believe. Uh, my first show, I had a Salvation Army officer as my first guest, and he wasn't one of the locals. I realized that when I was in a 30-second all-clear to go, go live to the air, one of our Technicians brought over three lines on a post-it note and passed it up under the desk, and that's how I started. And we just went on from there. It was, but it was flawless TV under the conditions. Yeah, was, well, uh, a consumer professional, clearly. You have to, but yeah. I tell you, it tries you. You know, it, uh, it it summons every bit of borrowed energy you've got in you. Mm -hmm. But you know, now we look back and say, hey, we did it. And no, Broadway musical didn't enter into my head. <laughs> if I do this, I wonder what would happen to me. I will probably end up in Australia watching myself portrayed on stage. And so how many times have you seen the show? Somewhere around 25. Right. Uh, I've seen it in Gander, St. John's, in New Gander and St. John's, mm -hmm. Toronto several times, New York several times, Seattle, Los Angeles, London, and now here in Melbourne. Wow, there you go. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not a bad gig for... Uh, Almost dying, staying awake. <laughs> yeah. A pretty good payoff, I think. It was not a bad trade-off. Yeah. Um, and, and, and talk to me about seeing your what what you did um, portrayed on stage, like your words that you've spoken. And that's the really beautiful part. The accuracy of come from away. I hear my words spoken word for word as I said them, with the pauses where I put them. My television delivery, I know where I put the pauses because I can say them back to myself now and it's exactly, I've watched I've actually spoken to all the Janice Mosier characters and I went, how do you know exactly where to put them? She said, hours and hours of tape and videos and 
And I mean, it's amazing the level of research they did into our characters and uh, their accuracy. It's a hundred percent accurate. What you see happened, and that, you know, the first time I, I saw it at the at the Gander Hockey Rink, actually, I was blown away. You know. uh, and by the way, some of the uncanny stuff actually happened. Like the toilet paper story is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stop sending toilet paper. Ozzy Fudge, Constable Ozzy Fudge, one of our our two police officers in Gander. Paul Matheson was the other guy. Paul was on night shift. Oz was on day shift. Oz would go around to all the venues picking up paper, hard copy announcements. Nothing electronic in 01. Mm. Oz would come in before every show. Never ever asked him to do it. He just did it with a stack of paper. Here's your announcements from the venues. And they knew to give it to him. So on Thursday for the mid-afternoon show, Oz came in with some paper that said Gander Academy was running low on toilet paper. 720 passengers, 200 and something volunteers, and they're running out of toilet paper. Now, that's an emergency. That's not good. So my producer said, first of all, Oz is not pulling your leg, because Oz and I are always trying to get one over on each other. <laughs> he said, it is a legit announcement. I heard it, too. Gander Academy's running on toilet paper. It's almost 1,000 people up there. And I went, okay. So in amongst it, I think the announcement before, I'd have like a guest, and then some announcements, and another guest, and more announcements. Hour-long shows, 12 of them. I said, and further to that, uh, I think the announcement before was St. Paul's Intermediate was looking for some fish dishes, and further to that, Gander Academy is running a bit low on toilet paper. If you have a few extra rolls of toilet paper, can you bring them to Gander Academy? Two hours and 15 minutes later, Ozzy's back in again. He's got a, uh, a typewritten announcement, and in his handwriting, he's got, for the love of God, written on top of it, and said, for the love of God, please stop bringing toilet paper to Gander Academy. At that point in time, two hours and 15 minutes later, they have a classroom filled to the ceiling with toilet paper. Nobody brought in a case of it. Two rolls, four rolls, six rolls, eight rolls. Yeah. Here you go. Whatever they could spare. But that was the theme of the week. If you ask for something, you got 20 times what you asked for. Mm. Right? We started the week while I was still at Gander Collegiate by, by calling my producer, and he interrupted the scrolling announcements and put up you know, screens of what we needed. And within 20, 25 minutes, there's cars rolling in with mattresses, sleeping bags, Cases of toothpaste, towels, you know, ice, coolers, fans. We were ready within two or three hours. It's incredible. Yeah. That kind of organization is normally impossible. I mean, the headlights coming across our parking lot. Oh, my God. Look at at them coming. You know, and no names on anything. Don't want it back. Uh, Clothing, extra stuff you got home. I mean, the grocery stores went in automatically, started getting breakfast items ready. Uh, the cafeterias by that morning were stopped. And I mean, hot, cold, breakfast, full meal deal. Not like, here's a piece of toast, go lie down. We're going to stuff you. You know, it's, it's crazy the level of response. You know, it was actually then that I actually met the new girl at the Beacon. I didn't know her name. Her name was Janice, but <laughs> she had only got there to the day before. Mm. She started on 9-11. It was her first week, yeah. First, first day. First day. First day, you know, and we went into a debriefing the next morning. I went, oh, she must be the new girl at the Beacon. You know, I introduced myself to her later. She was Janice. Yeah, little did you know you'd become the one person in a show. Here we are in Melbourne <laughs> watching ourselves, you know, and it's it's crazy. Mm. It really is crazy just to see where all this is gone. Yeah, and uh, we'll hopefully continue to go. It's an, an important show to hopefully be seen by as many people as possible. It really is, and it's got a message the world can see over and over, and that's what we're seeing. People are seeing it numerous times. I mean, I can't watch the same movie twice, but like this... I've seen this 25 times or something yeah. now. And 
It's just the show you can watch over and over and over again. And we're actually seeing this with audiences. People yeah. going out into the sidewalk, coming back in, looking for more tickets. You know, you can't... Most most venues, most nights are sold out wherever they are. Mm. I mean, the touring cast in the United States, I think they played to 4,000-seat theaters a couple of weeks ago. Sold out every night. Awesome. You know, and tickets sell out in minutes. They're released and they're sold out. Mm. And it's, you know, my story is it's one of the ones story, being told, yeah. which is really weird. That must be very special. People want to meet us now. People want, like, I've signed autographs. I had a lady in London tell me she was actually starstruck talking to me. And she said, I don't get starstruck. And I said, well, do you know who you're talking to? Because I don't think I'm starstruck material. And she said, no, no, you're the real thing. And she started to cry. And I'm going, what? You know, me, Brian, you know, Gander, born and raised in Cornerbrook. You know, like, but yeah, this this sort of thing is happening, and it's uh, it's so cool to see. But I, to be honest, on my list of things I expected to see, yeah, I didn't really put this on the list. No, this wouldn't even made the forty third page of my list. Brian, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with me. I really appreciate it. Anytime, buddy. And anytime. have an amazing rest of your tri- time here in Melbourne. Uh, you guys are fantastic here. I can't say that enough. Here. It's <laughs> absolutely amazing. You're a lot like Newfoundlanders. That's lovely to hear. Thank you so much. Thanks, buddy.